Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. How about all that NFL playoff action where well, you can get in on the action? Sign up at MyBookie, use our promo code Gators to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with MyBookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Hopping on right here, live on YouTube with a busy, busy, jam-packed show, Will. I mean, I don't know. there's no way we'll get to it in an hour, I don't think. And luckily, we were going to start at 9. We're starting a little bit early <laughs> right now. But uh, and you have to forgive me, everybody. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm going to try and power through it. Uh, got some stuff going on there. But uh, I am not can't leave you hanging with all the news out there. But, Will, plenty to get into. Thanks for hopping on, man. Yeah, man, it's always good to talk about this stuff. You're, you're, I'm not sure you knew what you were getting into when you said it's never a dull moment in Gator Nation, <laughs> but, uh, but we've jumped in with both feet and there's a lot to talk about, certainly. So exci- exciting times with the, uh, with the switch over to Billy Napier here and certainly a lot of, a lot of analysis on some of the guys he's bringing in, some of the guys who are leaving, um, and, and a lot of other things going on with the program. So it's an exciting time to be a Gator fan. As you said, we'll get through it all there. But as Will said, commits, three commits uh, for the Gators the last couple of days. We'll get into all that. Tyron Hopper news in and out of the portal. So we'll get into all that as well. We'll take a look back at the visits this past weekend for the Gators and some highlights there. Will, uh, some things that uh, I noticed some of these prospects were saying is how they'll be used, mostly on the defensive side of the ball, but how they'll be used on the defense. Uh, it gives, them, gives us some clue maybe of uh, the defensive scheme that's coming up from Patrick Tony and company on the defensive side, the football, and also the staff is done for the on field hires for the Gators and plenty, plenty to get into there. Um, a good friend, Adam McClintock from matrix analytical hops on. They run a bunch of analytics for coaches and, and, and ADs out there. Uh, and they're really, really high on this staff 
that Billy Napier has assembled so far. So plenty to get into here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Really, really helps us out. So everybody else, all those other Gator fans out there, can enjoy Gators Breakdown just like you. And one more thing, Will, I put it out there last week. Man, 4 million lifetime listens and views for us here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, I mean, I tell you, it means a lot for you know the fan base out there to show that trust that that, that they throw our way week in and week out. This it's it's not a job; it's a passion. You know, we just uh, don't get behind this microphone and just spew nonsense for the sake of doing so week in and week out. Uh, it's great to be a fan, bring this to other fans out there. Just something you, know, you and I love to do. We, we ride the ups and downs with everybody else out there. Uh, so thanks, everybody. We'll thank you. Uh, for helping, you know, Gators break down out there for uh, for all of us fans to get together. Oh, man, it's pretty cool. You see a number like that, and, you know, you think back to sort of – and I obviously wasn't here for the first first year or two of you of you putting on the podcast, but when I launched Reading Reaction, it's sort of the same thing. You you launch it, and you're like, oh, look, my mom's reading it. And that's sort of the only <laughs> thing – that seems to be the only person who's watching or reading to start with. And to get up to 4 million with all the different inter- – with all the interaction and all the people joining Gators Breakdown Plus and all the people who support me over, over at my site. It's been awesome to be part of it, and certainly I, I, we're not done done right i mean we're, we're still building so um appreciate everybody's support and yeah like you said it's we enjoy doing it and i think i hope we're pretty good at it and uh you know at the end of the day i think the numbers speak to that and speak to what you've built here at gators breakdown so congrats to you man because it's it's quite an accomplishment to be you know quite honestly the in my in my view the best podcast for gators football out there and to do it without being an insider i think is is an awesome accomplishment Thanks, Will. Thanks much. So here we go. Um, hopefully a million more soon. Uh, just, you know, everything just, everything just keeps piling up and all the news that uh, this football team throws our way, as we say, never a dull moment. So, man, speaking of never dull moments, well, here we go. All right. We got to commit Gator Nation and starting right now, quarterback Max Brown commits to the Gators here on this Monday evening, three-star quarterback from Oklahoma, flipped from Central Michigan and former Gators head coach Jim McElwain after visiting this weekend, getting offered from Florida. Stat rundown, 61 touchdowns his senior year, 4,093 all-purpose yards, 2,750 passing, 1,343 rushing, 41 passing touchdowns, 20 rushing touchdowns, 71% 71% completion percentage. Will in the highlight shows a knack for, you know, keeping plays alive with his dual his dual threat ability. We'll, we'll hit guys down the field, maybe a little bit of a gunslinger mentality, look for the big play mentality. But, Will, I gotta, we'll let you take over here. You did a nice, nice write-up from him uh, just released on Read and Reaction uh, this morning. You've garnered a lot of attention for uh, – a lot of attention – for your analytical look at quarterbacks in regards to how completion percentage translates from high school to college. Uh, But you're not getting too wrapped up in the numbers here when you look at the highlights from Max Brown, but the three-star quarterback commits to the Gators. 
Yeah, I mean, he's a solid depth piece for Florida. There's no doubt, right? I mean, you look at it, they kind of needed somebody here in the quarterback slot for the 2022 class um, for depth. And, and I think you start looking at it and say the time to go get an elite signal caller is probably in the next, in the next cycle. And, you know, because most all the five-star guys were pretty much gone by the time Napier came into campus and started recruiting. At the same time, you want to take a guy who has the possibility of significant upside. And I think that's what you're getting with Brown. I mean, when you you look at his statistics you already mentioned it seven almost 72 percent completion percentage which obviously i think translates but the big thing there is that he averaged 12.4 yards per attempt in his two years there in at the at uh, lincoln christian in oklahoma and so you sit there and you go not only is he completing a bunch of passes but he's completing them down the field and the the example i'd give as sort of a counter to that is is luke del rio who averaged somewhere around eight, eight and a half yards per attempt when he was in high school, even though he completed 70, 70 and a half percent his senior year. So what we're getting is a guy who's accurate and a guy who's going downfield. Now, when you look at the tape, he does go downfield a little bit more than he should. <laughs> and, and I think that's really the knock on Brown. The knock on Brown is the level of competition that he's played against that, that Lincoln Christian school in, in Oklahoma is a three, a school. And in Oklahoma, that means there's 96 schools in the state that are bigger than the school that he's playing at. And Oklahoma isn't necessarily known. They're certainly known for college football, but from a high school recruiting perspective, a lot of those guys who end up playing at Oklahoma come from Texas, which is typically ranked first or second when it comes to the overall high school talent that comes out of that state. So, you know, I think what you look at is, and you see this when you look at the tape, when you look at his highlight tapes, you, you can see that the competition that he's playing against isn't necessarily great, which means that he can get away with throwing balls into double coverage. He can get away with not necessarily reading the defense and his offensive player is still able to get behind the defense. Now, you know, again, he's not dinking and dunking, which means what you're really going to have to do is kind of rein him in as opposed to convince him to go downfield. I think I'd rather convince – I'd rather sort of rein someone in than try to convince him to go downfield. But when it comes to making the jump to the SEC, he's it's going to take a couple of years. This isn't a guy who's who's underrated as a three-star because he's a smaller player. I mean, he's six foot three, 205. It's also not a guy who's underrated because he's got sort of, you know, he doesn't have prototypical arm strength. I don't think that's true either on the on the on the film. I thought his arm strength was really, really good. And so what he's really being dinged for, I think, is the level of competition because the stats he's putting up with that level of competition are, are, are significant and, and very, very good. So, again, it's one of those things where, you know, we say this about teams all the time, like you can only play the schedule in front of you. And for Brown, you can only play against the competition that you have. But, you know, in the article today, I did point out a few places where there were some easy reads that he hesitated on. And those are things that he's going to have to clean up when he comes to Florida. Probably going to take him a couple of years, but that's kind of the point, right? I mean, if he's starting as a true freshman, we got problems because <laughs> it means Anthony Richardson and some other folks at, uh, at, at Florida are struggling. And so I don't think that's the intent. The intent is to bring somebody in who has quite a bit of upside and then see if you can develop him into a guy who's a, who's a good starting quarterback at Florida. This isn't somebody that I think is going to develop like a Joe Burrow or something like that, but somebody who can be a very solid starter in the SEC. I think that's quite, you know, I think that's quite possible. And so if you can bring somebody in in a transition class, fill that spot at quarterback and sort of be comfortable now that you've got a quarterback now in every class except for 2019 going back to 2018. So you've started to fill up those roster spots. And that's important because, in, you know, one of the things I think we noted when certainly at the end of the Will Muschamp era when they didn't have enough offensive linemen for spring practice and those sorts of things is that balance really is 
is important. It's important to make sure you've got the right number of guys who are freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors so that you can manage losing a couple of guys on the back end to bring in freshmen to help and supplement. Certainly, you want to be bringing in elite, elite recruits to do that. But at this point in time, I think balance clearly is an area where Napier is focused. I mean, you think about running back where he's got Etienne, that's the only, or Etienne, that's the only guy he's brought in there. Um, you know, he's got an offensive tackle, a couple of guards, a couple of tight ends, a couple of defensive tackles, a defensive end, a linebacker, and then safeties. The only spot that's really missing at this point is corner. And so, you know, you figure they're building up on safeties so they're at least getting defensive backs in terms of the guys that they're bringing in and so you can really kind of see what Napier's doing in terms of building the balance with the organization well you started mentioning there are other quarterbacks of course and look there's no way Florida's taking all these quarterbacks into fall camp once you start <laughs> adding Brown into the mix here Anthony Richardson Jack Miller Emory Jones Carlos Delbrillo Jalen Kitna now Brown no way all those guys make it to fall camp uh, at least if you're starting talking about roster balance there, Will. So, yeah, we'll see how spring football turns out, uh, who's healthy, ready to go, of course, uh, and, and who comes out of you know, who comes out of spring. Uh, because Florida's not taking six quarterbacks <laughs> on this depth chart in the, in the fall camp. Well, they can't. They've got 87 scholarships right now by my count. <laughs> and so, you know, there was some question, I think there's still a little bit of question, as to whether some of these guys who are coming back for their COVID year, the super seniors, are going to count against the scholarship count. It looks like they're going to. Um, so Florida's at 87 scholarships, which means they're going to have to cut at least two people off of the team. And certainly you expect with some of the news that we've had with some decommitments and things today that Florida would welcome having them open up more than one scholarship opportunity um, for this 2022 class. So we're going to have some attrition. And the reality is, is that I think that's a good thing and a healthy thing when you've got a transition. And so, um, you know, yeah, I think quarterback is one place where we're probably going to see some attrition at some point along the way, just because like you said, there's no reason to have six scholarship guys at that position. All right, let's keep it going here. And next Hayden Hanson, tight end six, five, 250 pounds was committed to Louisiana when Napier was there. Shows some, uh, you look at his highlights, shows some nice ability in his highlights, being lined up uh, you know, out wide at times, uh, being used in the screen game there, just running over defenders left and right. Who he is much bigger than. I'm talking about the competition uh, we were here. You get a guy this size, 6'5", 250. It's going to be hard to tackle in high school, no matter where you're playing high school football at. Uh, but also lined up as an inline tight end, more of what he's going to be used for at the University of Florida showing the ability to block and then also sneak behind defenses for some catches. You know, I don't see the lining up out wide and just running over opponents, of course, in college, nowhere near as much. In uh, discussing with the staff, you know, Hanson shared they, they like to use two tight ends. They'll be, will be, will be asked to run block, run block a lot, probably won't put up gaudy stats, uh, but we'll get their chance in the red zone. So a couple ways to look at this, Will. You know, any other class besides a transition class, probably maybe considered somewhat of a reach, uh, but playing two tight ends, one guy who can, you know, be this uh, blocking tight end with the catch radius, catch ability that he can bring to the table, especially in the red zone, get behind some linebackers, in front of some safeties, make a catch in the end zone. Look, they identified Hanson at Louisiana. They know what they're getting here. Um, they, they want him to be in this class, decided to offer, let him commit. But the use of two tight ends a bit, you know, Napier may want to build that room up a bit. Of course, you have Keon Zipperer, but Hanson's more about the future, so bring in the other tight ends here. We still need to see what younger tight ends, Odom, Elksness, Wilcox can do. 
if they'll even stick around after spring practice. We talked talked about that with the quarterbacks. It's a lot of tight ends on the roster too uh, to bring out of spring practice. So will they stick around after spring after they see how much they'll be used? So maybe you could have waited till signing day to maybe see uh, or where, how the rest of this cycle um, finishes up before you take this one. You know, who know? I, the, the staff is big fans of uh, <clears throat> you know, of Hanson here, of course, bringing him over from Louisiana. But also, you have to target out there Arliss Boardingham, the wide receiver, tight end, athlete. Um, I think Florida feels pretty good about him too. Danny Lewis is going to be visiting this weekend, another tight end, but I'm not so sure you have the room for him now after taking Hanson here. Uh, so very interesting to see how this one's going to turn out, especially when you also add in Tony Livingston, who labeled as an offensive lineman at times this recruiting cycle, but you look at him now, he is certainly built as a tight end uh, too. So you know, after thinking about it, Will, after the staff's history with Hanson, I don't see much of an issue with it in the transition class, but I still got some figuring out to do at this tight end position. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, you mentioned the connection that they had considering that they had recruited him at Louisville, or I'm sorry, at Louisiana. I, I think that's sort of the the crux of what's going on here. I mean, you think about what Billy Napier's trying to build. He's trying to build a culture. And so he knows this he he knows this player well. He knows Hanson well, and so bringing somebody in, he knows he's going to fit the culture. The other thing is, is and I think this it's interesting that when you look at some of the guys that you would say are lower ranked recruits, there's one thing that you see every time you look in their twenty four seven profile. It always says also plays basketball, <laughs> and I, and I find that incredibly interesting that the guys that Napier's taking flyers on, guys like Christian Williams, guys like Tony Livingston, guys like Hayden Hanson. Um, you know, even even guys that he's brought in, um, you know, some of the offensive linemen, um, his name's escaping me right now, um, Cameron Waits, right? Yeah. Those guys are all basketball players. They're all athletes. And I think that's one of the things that's really interesting. And then I had somebody on Twitter today, I think it was Donovan, Donovan Germany, who um, said that Billy Napier is executing my 5-3 plan to, to perfection, which isn't. <laughs> you know, I was I was sort of proposing that for Dan Mullen, but if Napier does that in a transition class, I think that's that's high praise for for the <laughs> idea. But the idea being that you spend a lot of your time going after those high level five star guys, and then you fill out your class with guys who are going to be four year or even five year depth pieces. And you got to hit on the big time guys, but then the yep. depth pieces end up providing something in year four, year five, and you don't have to worry about them transferring out because they're not guys who are ranked, you know, 80th or 120th or 180th, and they feel like they were blue chip guys when you recruited them, and it's harder to keep them in the portal. So I do think there's something to be said for for filling out your depth profile with guys who are ranked at different levels, and then again, the fact that he's got a strong relationship with Hanson, I think, goes a long way. Absolutely. So, all right, Will, one more, one more commit for the Gators in the last couple of days here. And I'm going to try my best to say this last name right, but I know I'm probably going to get it wrong. But uh, three-star edge rusher from Washington State, 6'3", 258, Andrew Savanea. I'm just going to call him Andrew from now on because I don't know if I said it right or not, but I'm going to you know, ho hope we did. There commits to Florida after also visiting this past weekend. Pac-12 offer galore here for him, included on that list. Oregon, UCLA, Cal, Washington State, Oregon State, 
According to Map, Max Preps, Andrew recorded 18 tackles, three sacks, two fumble recoveries, and a fourth fumble during the 2021 season. Also suited up, suited up at tight end, reeling in 24 receptions for 317 yards and nine touchdowns. Will looks like asking around someone the staff wants to be stand-up edge rusher on this defense here. Uh, so with that size, 6'3", 258, played both sides of the ball in high school, showing some athleticism here. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, just uh, one more, you know, three-star in this trio of three-stars here, uh, Billy Napier has has brought in uh, to you know, bolster this class heading into National Signing Day. Yeah, again, I think it's the same story. If you look, defensive end was a place where Napier in the 2022 class had a hole. And like I mentioned, the only real hole left now is corner. And so I would expect if he's going to take another three-star guy, now I'm hoping that it ends up being somebody like Jacoby Matthews who comes in as sort of safety slash corner. But, you know, Savanea ends up being sitting in that defensive end slot. You look at who Florida has. They're awfully light there. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Justice Boone and Tyreek Sapp from last year's class. You got Princely Human Melan and Antoine Powell from the 2020 class. You got Lloyd Summerall, who went into the transfer portal and decided to stay from the 19 class. And then you got Brenton Cox from the 18 class. And that's pretty much all you got at defensive end. And so, yeah. you know, the loss of guys like Chris Bogle, the loss of guys like Zachary Carter, really now they have to backfill and replace those guys. And so, you know, th- this is this is an attempt to do that, if nothing else. Again, sort of the same thing I said about quarterback and the same thing I said about running back. You need to have bodies every year in each of these spots. And we've noticed, we've certainly seen over the last really decade at this point that Florida, you know, signed five offensive linemen one year. And then the next year they signed zero. And th- we've seen the same thing at defensive tackle. I mean, you know, defensive tackle and really safety has been the one most more recently. So, you know, in the 2020 class, they signed five safeties. They signed three last year. And now, obviously, <laughs> obviously Napier's signing more this year at safety. But that's been the deal, right, is that they haven't been able to consistently sign guys at those positions, and that's caused problems. And so um, I, I'm hopeful that there is a more balanced approach to ro- roster construction and that these three-star commits, it's not just that they're three stars, it's that they provide, they fill a need in terms of making sure that the roster is balanced. Uh, we have one more commit in the form of preferred walk-on from Jacksonville. Here in Jacksonville, Riverside High School, Bryce Capers commits to Florida, would join that 50-man walk-on group. Napier mentioned that he wanted three-star linebacker, 6'4", 219, Max Prep also shares some stats of him. 50 tackles as a senior in 2021, including five for a loss. Also notched two sacks, an interception, three passes defended, two fumble recoveries. He also visited campus this past weekend. So, uh, well, there there is it for the recent commits for the Gators. And now let's get into some big, big recruiting news that dropped not long before we come on air here. Linebacker Harold Perkins visited Gainesville last week. Glowing review for the Gators. Goes to the Polynesian Bowl this past weekend. Comes back. He is now decommitting from Texas A&M. Will still visit LSU this coming up weekend, while they in Florida will visit him in home during this week. Says he's now going to make a decision on signing day between what it sounds like Florida and LSU throw in Texas. I know there's a lot of talk about Jackson State and Deion Sanders out there. 
but his brothers kind of shunned the way and said, no, nah, we want to play in the SEC, so maybe throw Texas out there too. So maybe it's a Florida LSU battle. Uh, but a lot of a lot of people in, having, having some input on this one, of course. But um, look, it, it's, this one's going to pick up. Uh, pick up major now with the, the the I mean look it was already there for Florida anyway we knew the the commitment to Texas A and M was just on the was just on the face there it was going to be a decision all the way down to the wire uh, but now he's going to make that decision on National Signing Day setting up to be a major battle another battle between Florida and LSU Jacoby Matthews is in that Florida LSU battle too we'll get into him in just a uh, a second but will big news here. Uh, for the Gators as they set themselves up in good shape for the number one linebacker in the country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things you were concerned about with Napier getting a late start coming in a week before National Signing Day or 10 days before early signing day was that you assumed that some of these guys who were really, really top-tier recruits weren't necessarily going to be around. And so Perkins, you know, obviously commits to Texas A&M there at the at the um, All-Star game, but that was sort of because it sounds like he wanted to commit somewhere at the All-Star game. That's sort of what he'd always, always dreamed of doing. And then he comes and takes his official at Florida, and he was wearing a bunch of Florida swag when he was out at the Polynesian Bowl and comes back and decommits. So certainly things look great. This is a big deal, right? The fourth-ranked player in the country at linebacker, which is a position where Florida hasn't had a three-down linebacker in, what, 12, 13, 14 years? You know, I really, really love David Reese as a linebacker, but, you know, he could get exploited in coverage. So it's been at least a decade since maybe Jared Davis was roaming, was roaming there at middle linebacker. And so to have a guy mm-hmm. out there with the kind of speed and the kind of pedigree of somebody like Harold Perkins makes a big difference, especially when you consider they also have Shamar James in this class, right? So if you can add Perkins to Shamar James, that's two guys in the top 63. I think Perkins would be the highest rated recruit since maybe Martez Ivy back in 2015 that Florida brought in. And certainly at the linebacker position, I can't, I can't remember maybe Brandon spikes is the last guy who was rated this high as, as Perkins. So it's a big deal to bring in a guy of that pedigree. And one of the things we've said over and over about the transition class is you're not necessarily looking for 18 all Americans from this class. What you're looking for is guys with a lot of upside who have the potential to turn into all sec guys and then you fill with depth to sort of build out, and you hope you hit on one or two of the guys at the, you know, in the 200, 300, 400, 500 range. And you think about what Napier's done. He's got Kamari Wilson there, the 27th ranked player, Shamar James, the 63rd ranked player. You've got Chris McClellan ranked 117th now, but then you've got Harold Perkins. If you bring him in at fourth, or Jacoby Matthews, as we'll talk in a minute, who's like ranked in the mid 30s. You're going to get a couple of all SEC players out of those guys if, in fact, if in fact they all stay healthy, and so that that's what you need. You you need these this class to just not crater, and then guys that Mullen had here who have, who buy into Napier and stay, and then guys that Napier brings in next year in that 2023 class are all going to be part of what turns into hopefully the next championship run for Florida, but you got to set the groundwork and the groundwork is having really high end guys who have an opportunity to not only be all sec players, but be all sec players for two or three years. And Perkins certainly has that sort of pedigree. So hopefully Florida can get him there. He's from Texas. So it's a little bit of a battle. When you think about Texas, Louisiana and Florida, Florida hasn't necessarily been a team that's pulled a lot of guys out of the state of Texas away from LSU and Texas when they've had opportunities to do so at the same time, 
Billy Napier has been in that area for a while now. And so, you know, certainly I think some of the reputations with the high school coaches in the area, but then just his reputation overall in that area probably help in a considerable way for a guy like Perkins. Yeah, a lot of linebacker talk coming up in this episode <laughs> of Breakdown. So even more, uh, of course, coming up at, at that position with all the news there. Uh, but, Will, you mentioned Jacoby Matthews. One more time, loved his visit last week to Gainesville. He's still going to visit, or um, you know, this past weekend, loved his visit to, to Gainesville. Uh, we'll still visit LSU as planned, so no surprise there this coming up weekend. But Florida and the staff could not have done much more than they did this past weekend. They have visited him multiple times. And we'll get this now with another visit planned by Napier this coming Friday morning, right before he goes on his LSU visit. So you know that one's planned. You know it's targeted right there before he goes, takes that trip uh, to Baton Rouge. That's what he told on three's Corey Bender. So heading right into his LSU visit. Let's go visit him Friday morning. Look, it's not going to be easy. He's going to Florida LSU battle. But, look, these are the big boy battles you want to get into. We know how tough it is to pull these Louisiana products out of that state, but Florida's in great shape here. Uh, Will, the thing I really wanted to bring up here for this one, he's brought up something you and I have discussed uh, in, in, in our uh, DMs on Twitter the last few weeks, and that's Tony's use of a lot of defensive backs. And he said the staff shared how crucial the role of defensive back is in this defense, and they'll deploy six or – Seven defensive backs. That's what they told him ahead of time in certain situations. Move all over the field and blitz them. They want all the athletes that they can get back there. So you, you, you bring up Matthews. You see Devin Moore out there who can be labeled as a cornerback instead of a safety, of course. You've seen his man skills. You saw that on display in an all-star game a couple weeks ago as well. You can see the plan here of what these now coaches – first of all, of what who Florida's targeting, who they've got committed – how many DBs they got committed, and who they're still going after. Yeah, I mean, look, I think everybody sees what's happening in college football. I mean, in college football, the passing game is king. And, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, a dual-threat quarterback could give you an edge. That's not the case anymore. In fact, I've got something coming up in the next couple of weeks where I'm going to be looking at, you know, how much value you really get from a dual-threat quarterback now compared to a guy who can really air it out. And spoiler alert, the answer is, is a guy who can really air it out is, is a real advantage in college football. And so you're going to have to battle that with defensive backs. You're going to have to battle that with a secondary that can be locked down. And, and that's, that, that's really what Florida looks like they're on the way to building. And, you know, it's interesting. You think about where Florida's weaknesses have been in 2020 and 2021. It's been on the defensive side of the ball, right? And now it hasn't all been in the secondary, but it's certainly been on the defensive side of the ball. And you start looking at where Napier and Tony are building this team. You know, it's not until you get down to Tony Livingston that you start finding offensive players on the actual yeah. <laughs> list. Well, I guess Trevor, Eti Trevor Etienne yeah. at, at running back there at, at 187th. But, you know, most, the majority of the guys they brought in are on the defensive side of the ball, and that's intentional, I think. I mean, at the end of the day, Mullen recruited well enough on offense that I think you figure you can probably get by with who you got there. But on the defensive side of the ball, certainly has been a struggle for Florida the last few years. And so they've, 
they've decided with Corey Raymond on board and his ability to recruit and Billy Napier and his ability to recruit and Patrick Tony and what he's going to do schematically. And really, I think the thing you're sort of talking about there is that he tries to set up his scheme such that you don't know where the blitz is coming from, that it can come from 10 of the 11 guys who are on the field at any given time. And considering that most of the time we could sort of see where the blitzes were coming as, as lay people watching the team over the last couple of years, I think that's going to be a welcome change, but you're going to have to have guys who can time it. You're going to have to have guys who can come from a long way away. You're going to have to have guys who can tackle in space, and you're going to have to have guys who can cover. And I think, you know, sort of the focus on guys like Matthews, Wilson, Devin Moore, and then, you know, again, bringing in guys like uh, uh, Kimber, you know, to play corner there as, as a transfer in. They are clearly focused on making sure that the defensive backfield is solid. And then I, I suspect that they're going to start filling out the defensive line with a little bit more depth. Obviously, we saw that today with the addition of uh, of, of Savanaya. But you know, at the end of the day, I think they've clearly said we need elite talent at the corner and safety position, and that's what they're going after. Uh, we'll finish this up a little bit. We'll go from one bit of recruiting with Jamar James and then to the Tyron Hopper in and out of the transfer portal talk here. So Shamar James already signed, sealed, and delivered, visited Gainesville this past weekend, part of this 2022 class, and shared you know, with uh, Blake Allerman, Swamp 24-7. Staff told him he'll be playing both inside linebacker spots. So that, if that gives you any inclination about maybe numbers of linebackers at time with both inside linebacker spots, outside linebacker spots, Florida's looking to – maybe deploy a little bit, a little more three linebackers at time as well. They did say, or he shared that staff would like him to play the Mike and Will spots. So middle weak side working those spots with inside linebacker coach Jay Bateman. So we're learning a little bit more about this defense by what the staff is selling these recruits will uh, some more also uh, in the 23 class as well. Jordan Hall mentioned uh, from Jacksonville West side that, you know, they say it's a three down front, but it's really not. They have different mixtures and schemes, and they're building the defense from the, the outside in, more of a three technique, a nose, two ends. So, Will, it really does sound like, I mean, this staff will be pretty versatile of how they're going to build this defense with a number of defensive linemen, number of linebackers, going up to six or seven DBs if need be, according to what quarterback you're playing, what offense you're playing. They're selling – <laughs> they're selling these kids on uh, we, we've got a spot for you it's going to be multiple it's going to be uh, adaptable uh here here on defense but uh at least we're getting some hint of what these coaches are going to want on this defense yeah i mean it's the same thing we kind of were screaming for from grantham for an extended period of time right that you know mullen always talked especially when he first came in about putting the guys that he has in a position to succeed and at the end of the day it felt like at least on the defensive side of the ball that that was always lacking it was the same starting lineup every time the same general same general scheme it didn't seem to be all that i mean it seemed to be confusing to the players not necessarily confusing to the opposing defense and i think the fact that that and the other thing i would say is that there was a lot of emphasis on cross training Yep. If you remember three or four years ago, guys like Trey Dean and Amari Bernie, the selling point was, hey, you're not just going to be a safety. You'll also play quite a bit of linebacker. You're not just going to be a linebacker, you know, we're, or you're not just going to be a safety. We'll also have you at a corner. Well, it hadn't really worked out. Thing, all- right. And at first, I thought that was a great thing. I was like, okay, we got guys that maybe won't even have to come off the field. Ugh. 
It was a well, disaster. Well, I think I think we've learned our lesson, and so the yeah. fact that they're telling him he's going to be the Mike linebacker is something we should take as as comfort when it comes to they've got a guy they're bringing in, and they've said this is where we need you. And again, I think this goes back to some of the guys we've talked about tonight, right? J- not just from a roster balance perspective, but you know we need a defensive end and a rush defensive end. Yeah. And so we're going to go get that guy, and whether he fits the profile of an elite um, defensive end or not isn't really the the thing that matters. It's that we need guys at that rush defensive end position. This guy fits what we're trying to do. Now you look at a guy like Shamar James; it's very, very different, right? I mean, he's a guy who just about every every program in the country would have wanted to have. In fact, Alabama um, was where he was going if he didn't, if Napier hadn't been hired, and if he hadn't flipped back to Florida. And so, you know, this is a guy who's highly, highly talented, going to be able to get on the field early. But if he knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly what Napier expects him to do and knows exactly where he's going to play, I think that suggests that he's going to have a lot of comfort about the role that they're going to ask him to play. And he's going to be able to come in and hopefully fulfill that role. So, you know, look, I think there's always room for being versatile. I mm-hmm. think the question is, are you being versatile within your scheme and and fitting essentially allowing your scheme to be malleable enough that you can take a guy's strengths and make him better because he's in your system? Or are you trying to make a guy change what he does to fit your system? And I think that's kind of the distinction that that I hope that we're seeing here because it always felt like Florida before was trying to get these guys and then adjust them. So you think about Diabate, who started out as really a rush guy. You know, his freshman year was very successful. And then they said, well, we're going to put you at linebacker. And okay, I think he did a pretty good job at linebacker. But at the same time, he lost some of the stuff that he did really, really well when he came when he when he came to Florida. And in many cases, I think struggled when it came to some of the things that a middle linebacker has to do. And that hopefully won't happen, right? Shamar James has been recruited to be the middle linebacker. He's going to play a middle linebacker. And yeah, we'll make adjustments and be variable. And, you know, we'll adjust what we do on the defensive front to make sure that James has the ability to run sideline to sideline and all those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, we're going to build the skills into him that fit what we're trying to do. And then we'll try and then we'll adjust things on our scheme for things that he doesn't do that well. Well, simple, man. If we're playing a team that wants to spread us out, Let's have the ability to go spread out. If a team wants to go line up with a fullback and a, and a, and a running back and go under center, then let's be able to have the ability to do that as well. So that, you know, that, that's versatility uh, in, in defense. You know, whatever the, uh, no matter who you play in, week in and week out, you can go out there and you can match up with it. Uh, and you know, that hopefully that's what the, uh, the selling point is uh, for, for you know, these high level. I mean, you need the high level talent to, to, to be able to do that. No matter what an opposing offense is going to throw at you, you need to be able to throw some play, players out there that can, you know, uh, adapt and play in if they need more defensive linemen, if you need more linebackers, if you need more defensive backs to be able to go out there and do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I feel like Florida has on this roster from 2020, the 2022 class already has two or three guys who can probably make the freshman all-SEC team. And that freshman all-SEC team is usually a harbinger of what's coming. And so, you know, if they can add a guy like Perkins, if they can add a guy like Matthews, now you sit there and go, geez, they might even have four or five guys who mm-hmm. can make the, uh, the freshman All-SEC team. And, and sort of usually that's a stepping stone to being able to make the All-SEC team later. And so, you know, 
I'm really interested to see how often these guys play and how early these guys play and whether they end up sort of saying, hey, we're going to get you out there and put you in the fire early. Or if they say, you know what, we're going to redshirt you so that we save you up (laughs) for when we really need you a year or two from now. I suspect they're going to play them pretty early. I I think at the end of the day, and we're going to get to it in a minute with Hopper, but I suspect there's going to be some playing time available for guys like Shamar James and certainly guys like Perkins if he decides to come to, to come to Gainesville. And so, you know, thankful that guys like Ventral Miller are back, but at the same time, I think at the end of the day, um, you're, you're absolutely going to be, we're going to be focused on guys like Shamar James and guys like Harold Perkins and, and wanting to see what they can do, even if they make mistakes early on. And I think the good news is, is that Napier is going to have the ability to allow players out on the field to make mistakes. And, you know, an interesting thing about Mullen going 10 and three that first year, I do wonder whether he kind of felt like he didn't have the opportunity to put guys out there. Now, certainly you go back to his time at Mississippi State, he didn't necessarily play young guys all that often either. So I think it's a fair criticism. That that's something that he that he needed to improve on. But, uh, you know, I'm really interested to see these young guys. I'm interested to see how often they play and see what kind of requirement Billy Napier has to get them out on the field because he's not just going to put them out there. I don't suspect. I think they're going to have to earn their keep to get out there, but uh, I'm interested to see those guys that do how much they're able to play next year. They may have more of an opportunity now with these linebackers. We're talking about, like I said, linebacker heavy here, Tyron Hopper officially in the transfer portal. Now we all remember last Thursday hopped in the portal hour later out of the portal. Well, his uncle Tyrone Hopper, tweeted today, quote, to be clear, my nephew entered the transfer portal on Thursday the right way, and it was official and was taken out of the transfer portal without his consent and put back in the portal today. So <laughs> if that sheds any more light for you, I, okay, I'm, I'm not sure if it does or not, but there, that's coming from Tyron Hopper's uncle uh, there, Will. So interesting. Look, there's a couple interesting angles to look at this, and one I tweeted as soon as the – Bateman hire was made at linebacker. I was like, okay, he's coming from North Carolina where Tyron's brother Tyrone played. So he knows a little bit about Bateman. I was like, okay, they can, you know, share and talk about it. Does that play a part here? Not really sure. Of course, new staff comes in, workouts just starting. And I'm not trying to sit here and say Hopper's a, you know, doesn't like what's going on with the new staff or whatever. I no idea, uh, honestly. But that can come into play here too. You know, does he just not like what the new staff is bringing to the table? Uh, so, you know, if if his uncle's to be believed, it's not really hopping in and out of the portal on Hopper's decision. It was no, he was in the portal, somehow got pulled out, and now he's officially in the portal. Uh, so, Will, for looking at what Florida has, we just talked about the recruits that are in the running: Shamar James, Perkins. Jamar James, for sure, already signed. Perkins, you hope to add him. But guys who have been on and played, luckily, Ventro Miller comes back. You have him. You have some experience at the linebacker position. Now with Hopper, I mean, Hopper was the best linebacker by the end of the year, Will. Uh, You go back and look at his last couple games versus FSU and UCF. Of course, gets thrown out in the bowl game. But by the end of the year, it was not even far-fetched to say he was the best linebacker Florida had on the field. But luckily, Ventral Miller comes back after his early season injury. If you go look at all the videos, that, or not all the videos, but the first video Florida showed out there of all the workouts, Amari Bernie still on this roster, still practicing with this team. Derek Wingo started getting more playing time as the year went on. DeWan Black has now moved to linebacker. 
tweeted a couple weeks ago. He's playing inside linebacker. Chief Porter, Scooby Williams. So still some numbers there. Still some depth there, Will. But Miller, Bernie, Wingo a little bit. That's about all you have as far as experience goes. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is this change is hard for anybody, right? I mean, when any of us who's had a job and a boss is left and they bring in a new boss from outside, you know, you got to deal with it. And sometimes you deal with it well, sometimes you don't deal with it well, and sometimes it means it's time to move on to a different place. And, you know, I, I think we wish Hopper well, if, assuming that he's going to go someplace else, and hopefully he doesn't end up transferring to Utah. But, uh, you know wish him well and hopefully everything goes well for him in the future i think at the end of the day sometimes there's just a disconnect in terms of the people that come in and it's not a place you're comfortable with it's not the people you committed to and again i think one of the one of the nice things about the transfer portal but also one of the frustrating things about the transfer portal portal is that you know it used to be that you brought in a new staff and it cost a player a year to leave Mm -hmm. And so you had to sort of weigh that, right? Like, I'm not comfortable with the staff. This isn't who I committed to. But if I transfer someplace else, I'm going to have to reestablish myself and sit out for a year. Well, now that you don't have to sit out for a year, there's not really any penalties. So essentially, you get to choose a staff again, right? And you can go through the whole – you enter your name to the portal, you go through recruiting again, and then you get to choose a staff that you're comfortable with. So I think that's, that's what's happening here, and that's fine, right? That's every player's right, and I think that's one of the things that over time we've sort of gotten used to. And, and I think – most of us believe that that players should have at least the same autonomy that the coaches do that when there's a change that you know it makes sense that players would be looking someplace else as far as the linebacker position yeah i mean ventrell miller is the guy with all the experience if amari bernie stays he has experience but i wouldn't say either one of those guys has been fantastic i would say miller's been solid bernie's been inconsistent you got david reese there from the 2018 class he really hasn't played at all and has been injured a lot of the time yeah i mean i left him off hopefully hopefully he's healthy enough to finally you know contribute here you know, you mentioned to one black Derek Wingo, Chief Wim- Chief Borders, and Scooby Williams. Borders and Williams. Uh oh. Lost Will there. Hopefully he can uh, <laughs> hop back in here. I don't know what happened. There we go. Glad I was caught it. There we go. Well, what happened there, Will? I don't know. It, told me it wasn't my fault when it logged out. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but yeah, you were just going through uh, going through Scooby and, and, and Chief Borders there. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the nice parts is, is that Chief Borders seems to be one of the best recruiters that we have. And, and so, <laughs> they put him on every visitor. It seems like he's coming in with a swap. Absolutely. So keep that up. So we know he's not going anywhere because he's uh, – but look, I mean, so there's a lot of potential there at the linebacker position, but we haven't seen a lot of production yet. Yep. But it's interesting. You know, you mentioned that Hopper was the best linebacker linebacker that Florida had at the end of the year and and that's undoubtedly true but he was still on the field the entire time Florida was getting absolutely gashed mm-hmm. by LSU and Georgia so we're not lo- like Hopper might turn out to be an excellent NFL level linebacker but he yeah, wasn't was excited a- for the potential based off of what we saw but you're right I mean Nobody on that second level was playing all, all world. <laughs> I mean look so that's the thing right as I look at it and I go there wasn't a whole lot of gap discipline there wasn't a whole lot of toughness, really, when you looked at the linebackers in the defensive line last year. And then you mentioned him getting thrown out in the game against UCF. And 
look, I mean, you get spit on and it wasn't really a punch and, and all those sorts of things are true. At the same time, the guy who reacts is always the guy who gets the 15 yard penalty. And, you know, that sort of stuff isn't going to fly. And, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't ask for increased discipline compared to what you had for Dan Mullen and expect everybody to say, yeah, that's exactly what I want. And so, um, look, I wish Tyron, I wish, I hope he stays. I hope he jumps out of the portal again. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, if he doesn't, I think Florida is going to have an opportunity to then to get younger guys in and get them a lot of playing time. And again, based on what you're trying to build to the issue with Hopper really is that he was already sitting there. I think as what a red shirt junior coming into this year. Right, he, he, he'd been here. Yes. So by the time you get to a place where you really expect Billy Napier to be winning, Hopper's probably gone already anyway. And so getting guys like Scooby Williams, getting guys like chief borders out there and getting them experience prepares them for when you finally start getting into these situations where, you know, I mean, next year, I think, let's be honest. I think if, if the team went eight and four, we'd be pretty happy with that. And what you really want is you want those linebackers getting experience. So when you have the opportunity to go 12 and one, they're out there flying around and making plays. And so getting guys like borders and Williams, but certainly Shamar James as well out there on the field early so that they're prepared when it's time to, when it's really time to take that step forward, I think is going to be the focus of the staff. And so, Look, I hope Hopper comes back. I wish him the best if he doesn't. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of change going on in Gainesville. And this is something people are going to have to deal with because this isn't going to be the only guy we're familiar with who leaves. You know, either after either after National Signing Day or after spring practice. I already mentioned Florida's at 87 scholarships. They're going to have to. There's going to be some attrition somewhere, and there are going to be guys we're familiar with, and maybe even some guys we really like, who end up going someplace else. And good for them. But it's also good for Florida because you're bringing in guys who fit Napier's system to replace guys who maybe do not. Yeah, a lot of excitement there in recruiting. Also, you know, keeping up with the transfer portal. Big benefactors last week didn't hit a bit this week with the departure or possible departure of Tyron Hopper, but still a lot of excitement. Also, a lot of excitement in the NFL playoffs. I tell you what, most NFL I've watched in the last past, you know, this past weekend. A lot of fun <laughs> was had there, but keep the excitement alive this NFL playoff season with my bookies double deposit bonus. All you have to do is sign up, use promo code Gators, and get your funds credited to your account instantly so you can start placing your bets with my bookie. With NFL championship weekend coming up, every player will be out to make a name for themselves. So you know player props are a great way to find an edge. My bookie is also home to exclusive contests that can be used to maximize your winnings. Don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to $1,000 by using promo code GATORS. Place your bets and get ready for the intensity of playoff action. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. I will plenty to get into now as we finish this episode of GATORS Breakdown. The on-field staff is complete for Billy Napier. No surprise. Sean Spencer, Coach Chaos was announced, and you guys heard even more about him last week when Antonio Valentino hopped on the Twitter spaces uh, last week with me, gave his thoughts, the lowdown on Coach Chaos. If you haven't listened to that yet, I advise you to go back, listen to it, to get a different feel for Spencer from Valentino. Well, he was, re he was ready to run through a wall talking about Sean Spencer there, Antonio Valentino was. So, uh, man, just uh, <laughs> he, he was excited there. So, Sean Spencer, co-defensive coordinator, defensive line coach for the Gators, veteran of more than 20 years at the collegiate and professional levels. 
joins the Gators after spending the last two seasons with the New York Giants as a defensive line coach. Spencer made an immediate impact to the Giants' defense during his first season in 2020. That year, the defensive front registered 40 sacks, the most sacks since the 2014 season when they tallied 47. Under Spencer's guidance, that the line helped produce the helped the defense rank 12th in the NFL, allowing, allowing 349.3 yards per game in 2020. It was their best defensive finish since 2016 when they were 10th in the league. The Giants' rushing defense ranked 10th, allowing 111.4 yards per game, also their best figure since 2016. Prior to the Giants, Spencer spent six seasons from 2014 to 2019 at Penn State where he was also associate head coach and run game coordinator his final two years. Nittany Lions was traditionally one of the best in the nation under Spencer. In 2019, Penn State had 45 sacks, seventh highest total in the country, third highest in the Big Ten, Penn State's fifth consecutive season with at least 40 sacks, first first such streak for the Nittany Lions since team sacks were recorded in 1988. That season, Spencer's linemen were also significant contributors to Penn State's run defense, which finished first in the nation by allowing 2.6 yards per carry. Will, after what we saw from Florida's rush defense last this past year, welcome news there for seeing uh, the potential there from uh, Spencer and his defensive line. Nittany Lions also finished fifth in the country and first in the conference in yards per game with 95 in 2019. In 2015 and 2018, Penn State led the nation in sacks, first with 50 and then with 47. Additionally, the Nittany Lions ranked fourth in the country with 8.2 tackles for loss in 2018. That year, the defense was a frequent fixture in the opposition's backfield, leading the country in sacks, 3.62 per game, for the second time in four years, ranking fourth in tackles for loss, 8.2. Last bit of stats here for that. 2017, Lion helped the defense finish top 25 in FBS scoring defense, 7th, sacks, 7th, rushing defense, 14th, total defense, 17th, takeaways, 23rd, tackles for loss, 25th. Pivotal role in Penn State's Big Ten championship run in 2016 when the defense finished 7th in FBS in tackles for loss and 19 in sacks. Will sack number galore here. Now, we did have that under Todd Grantham, too. Getting to the quarterback was not an issue uh, for Florida, but does seem to bring a bit of the other side with it. Tackles for loss, rush defense as well. Not just getting to the quarterback, uh, but a lot of you start asking around. We'll get into it in just a second as well uh, with, with our guest here. But Sean Spencer, now, I know there's a lot of talk about getting Henderson from the NFL, from the Rams, and what a coup that would have been uh, for, for Billy Napier and this staff. But, man, Spencer and his background here, there's a lot to like. Yeah, I'm not sure that uh, – there's a lot of stuff that's impressive, but I think the thing that might be most impressive is that in 2013, Vanderbilt had a top 25 defense and had 42 and a half tackles for loss. And in 2011, a guy named Tim Fugger earned second team all SEC honors with eight sacks and 11 and a half tackles for loss, who was coached directly by Spencer. You know, again, it's interesting because I think we sort of, especially because of the sort of 
capping out that's happened at Penn State under James Franklin. We forget the guy won six games, nine games, and nine games there at Vanderbilt. I mean, and now you look at what's happened since then. I mean, they're a complete doormat again, and before that were a complete doormat as well. And so, you know, the the idea that Spencer was a part of what was being built there at Vanderbilt I think is significant. And so he's seen these rebuilds, right? You come into Penn State when Bill O'Brien leaves and, you know, all the scholarship limitations from the Sandusky disaster and, you know, and, and Spencer's able to help build up that defensive line there too. And then you factor that with the, you, you combine that with the fact that he was the primary recruiter for Michael Parsons. And all of a sudden you go, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, I, I can get excited about this. So, you know, there's a lot of stats there. You listed off a lot of things that are great information about Spencer. But at the end of the day, you know, 42 and a half tackles for loss in 2013 with a top 25 defense at Vanderbilt. I'm sold, man. I'm sold. <laughs> I am a little bit concerned that he's got a little bit of New York Giants funk on him. But you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> him and Sale are going to have to prove that that's that they're able to wash that off. Uh, got an interview with Adam McClintock of Matrix Analytical coming up to also, you know, shed some more light on this staff and how high he is on Spencer. But let's finish just some of these uh, recent hires here for Florida. Chris Couch would join this staff as Game Changer Coordinator, Will. What a title that came about uh, last week in his role as an analyst. He will focus on the special teams unit. Oh, man, special teams. So <laughs> we'll, uh, What's we'll, that? What is that? What is that? Uh, the Packers don't know that either. So. Packers don't know it either. You're right. The, oof. Native of Milledgeville, Georgia, Couch spent the 2021 season with Napier at Louisiana as their special teams coordinator and a director of quality control and analytics. Nationally, the Raging Cajuns ranked ninth in net, pu- net punting, tied for 10th in block kicks, 15th in punting average, and 17th in kickoff return during – uh, kickoff return defense during Couch's lone season as Lafayette. At the conference level, UL had the best kick return defense and net punting while ranking fourth in kick return yardage. Prior to joining the Raging Cajuns, Couch spent five seasons at Tulane, where he worked as special teams analyst and recruiting coordinator. During his last three seasons at Tulane, the Green Wave ranked in the top half of the American Athletic Conference and top 50 nationally in both kick and punt returns. So, Will, we know the um, issues on special teams from Florida. Interesting that won't be an on-field role for a special teams coordinator. You get the game-changer coordinator here. It'll be in charge of special teams, but won't be on the field on game day. So we'll kind of see who takes that mantle on game day as one of the on 10 on-field coaches. Uh, but you have to imagine during the week, you know, Couch would be – right there, getting it all in order, handing it off to somebody on game day. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I sort of joked about the Packers, but if you actually look at what happened on the blocked field goal, it was really interesting in that it was clearly something they'd seen on film, and one player wound up sort of swiping down a guard's hand, which allowed the defensive back to get in and block the kick. And those are the sorts of things that you hope that a guy who's sitting there, um, you know, looking at film and then working with these guys during practice is going to be able to focus on that sort of stuff. And so, uh, you know, I think the hope is is that you get a schematic advantage by essentially being able to, you know, you think about advanced scouts who go forward and sort of look at the next opponent. Where am I going to be able to get an advantage? Where am I going to be able to get an edge? You know, I grew up watching Virginia tech 
mm. you know, my whole family's from Blacksburg. And so, you know, I grew up watching Beamer ball where they were in there turning the tide of games where they had less talented teams because they were able to take advantage of kicks, blocked kicks and blocked punts and returns and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we saw it last year, right? I mean, Kentucky doesn't win that game without blocking the field goal and then returning it. And, you know, Florida really wasn't able to ever turn the tide with a special teams play. In fact, I think maybe the one special teams return, no, it was an interception return they had in the Kentucky game. They got called back for a penalty. But, I mean, you know, when was the last time the Florida punt return went back and you went, okay, here it comes. I'm glad he's returning it, right? I mean, for the most part, it's just been let's fair catch it and get the offense back out there, especially in 2020. Look, I mean, Game Changer Coordinator is the perfect – the perfect name for what you're looking for out of a guy like this. You want him to be somebody who's going to go in there and find a schematic advantage on film that's going to help you change the game because Florida's not going to be the most talented team on the field in every game next year. When they play teams like Georgia, maybe even when they play LSU, they're not going to be the most talented team out there. They're going to have to find a place to find an edge, and hopefully that Couch is going to be a, a key cog in being able to figure that out. All right, some more off-field roles here. Corey Bell was appointed the role of quality control running backs by head coach Billy Napier. So, well, well, I mean, well you got Corey Bell who has a defensive backfield background as quality control running backs. It was thought that he you know, would be interested in a job at Miami coaching in the defensive backfield. Florida's keeping him away from Miami as a quality control running backs. I mean, big pull here for, for, for Napier. Uh, glad Corey Bell wants to stick around Gainesville. He rejoined the Gator staff prior to the 2021 season as director of player personnel after three seasons as the cornerbacks coach at UCF. He also spent the 2017 season as Florida's secondary coach, arriving from Florida Atlantic, where he was the secondary coach and director of player personnel from 2014 to 2016. He served as director of football operations from Miami in 2007 to 2010. It's a big uh, – just keeping away from Miami if there was the interest there is, is note of itself. And, Will, one more, Josh Thompson. He's his director of football operations. So there you go, big, big behind-the-scenes move here. Looks like he's been on the job for a couple weeks there in Gainesville. You saw him with Billy Napier when Billy Napier was talking at the uh, basketball game a few weeks ago. Uh, he – Josh Thompson most recently worked for Auburn football program as a director of football operations. Prior to that, Thompson served as the de- executive director of recruiting and player personnel at the university of Arkansas from 2019 to 2020. Thompson worked in recruiting personnel and operations at Texas A&M as well from 2010 to 2017. So a lot of sec experience here, native of Fort Worth, Texas graduated from Texas A&M with both a Bachelor's of Science in Sports Management and a Master's of Science in Sports Management and Business Administration. Will, as soon as that was announced, he tweeted, quote, we ain't done yet. A++ University with an A++ staff that's creating an A++ student-athlete experience. Here's the kicker. We are going to recruit, 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 and most importantly, recruit. <laughs> the work has already begun. That is music to our ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, and it's even during recruiting season, so we're good to I mean, go. I, I feel safe you know, to ask about it. 
<laughs> I'm sure you'll find something else to ask about that makes everybody <laughs> uncomfortable. But, uh, you know, look, I, I think the interesting thing I was about to say is about Corey Bell. I mean, if you look at his history, it's all in Florida, right? It's, it's down in Miami, yeah. but then there's time at Florida Atlantic, there's time at USF, and then there's time at Florida. But part of it is, you know, again, time at time at a high school in Miami. And that's one of the things, you know, you, you mentioned, and I think we sort of glossed over the preferred walk-on who came in, um, you know, but getting a three-star guy to forego yeah. free college at Akron or free college at, you know, Central Michigan or something like that to decide, hey, I'm going to come to Gainesville and compete because I'm from Jacksonville. Right. That's sort of, even that is an indication that the that the ring around Gainesville is really starting to become alluring, right? That there's a siren call from Gainesville because everybody knows what's about to be built there. And uh, you know, I think the addition the addition of Thompson certainly says that. I mean, you bring in a guy who's got big time SEC experience and understands the messaging, right? I mean, it, this has been if there's one thing that I think you could say about Dan Mullen, especially in the last two or three months of his tenure is that his messaging was just awful. And whether or not he was doing the right things behind the scenes didn't necessarily matter because the results weren't showing on the field. And the messaging was so bad that anybody who was in his corner finally just said, look, I'm tired of defending him. I can't defend this stuff. And well, if there's it was one mad when all that matched the outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right, is that Thompson can say recruit, 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 and that's music to our ears, but it's music to our ears because we're sitting here looking and have a chance at Harold Perkins and because we have a chance at Jacoby Matthews and so and that we've already gotten Kamari Wilson to sign on the bottom on the dotted line. And so the reality is, is that the results, at least at the top tier level of recruits, seem to reflect the attitude that the staff is now projecting. So here's the deal. The 2023 class, you've got a And so what we're going to see is, is are you able to execute? And, you know, this, this particular tweet will be thrown back in Mr. Thompson's face. If Florida's recruiting class is ranked ninth at the end of the, at the Mm -hmm. end of the 2023 season, at the end of the 2023 cycle, that's the reality. But I think, you know, a singular focus, everybody working in the same direction. And that is one thing, you know, you mentioned sort of the recruits talking about how, um, how Florida staff was talking about how they were going to use them. The other thing I heard a couple of times was that the staff was in alignment, that they were all telling them the same thing. Right. And I think that's a big deal, right. That everybody's on the same page. And, you know, Neil Blackman wrote about how it was a toxic environment when Grantham and Hevesy were fired and all those sorts of things. So to be able to eliminate that, to have everybody on the same page and that page is, this is a talent acquisition business. Right, they I mean, understand something a director of football operations should uh, be in charge of, right? <laughs> something like that. So, hey, I mean, it's an army, man. At the end of the day, the I think I think some of the good news is is we're not necessarily going to know who else responsible for everything <laughs> when it comes to setting all this stuff up. I think the um, you know, and and again, this goes back to Florida's commitment to what Billy Napier wants to build, putting those people in place, and the Napier finding the right people to fill those gaps, not just from a coaching and on-field perspective and getting the most out of the players who are here, but making sure that you bring in elite guys who can then develop into that next generation of players who are going to bring Florida back to not just sort of competing when they go on the field and, you know, as Spurrier says, barely losing to Alabama, um, you know, but actually going out there and making sure that they get the job done when they play a team like Georgia or a team like Alabama, or at least where Alabama and Georgia have to respect them as equals when they get out there on the field. And I think that's where we're progressing. But like I said, 
you finish ninth next year and nobody's going to care what you tweeted when you came <laughs> here. And so the results, the results have to match. The results seem to match thus far, but the results have to keep matching for, for, for me to remain excited. All right. So there we go. More staff announcements. All 10 on-field assistants have been announced. So earlier today, I cut an interview with Adam McClintock of Matrix Analytical. He's going to join us here on Gators Breakdown. And I decided to bring him on, Will, after he shared on Twitter thoughts on this Gators staff under Billy Napier, quote, the highest-graded new coaching staff in the Power Five. A big reason Napier was day one on our draft board, staff management. So with that intro, here is Adam McClintock joining me to discuss. All right, Adam is joining us right now. And first, Adam, uh, explain to our listeners out there what exactly Matrix Analytical is and, and the work you guys perform and share out there in the college football world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Matrix Analytical is an analytics firm. And what we do is, is we provide services to aid athletic directors and head coaches fill their staff using numbers. Um, we also uh, help coaches find jobs by helping them build their resume using the, the same numbers. And, 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 and during the season, we, we, we also provide coaching staffs with, with play caller tendencies and also uh, player target percentages to help, help in game planning. <clears throat> we're, we're, we're kind of able to do this because we've, we've built a database of over oh, 5,000 coaches and uh, um, logged every unit performance since 2009. And, and what that does is it, it allows us to, to grade a coach over the length of his career based on his, his unit's on-field performance. Um, and it, it, that's kind of surface level, but it doesn't really stop there. We, we try to tie these performance grades to talent as well, because as, as we all know, as college football fans know, college football is, isn't a, a even playing field. So expecting a coach's unit to put up the same numbers at Troy as he does at Alabama isn't very realistic. So our grading system levels this playing field and takes the talent on a coach's roster and grades his performance in relation to the talent difference he has over his opponent. So it kind of gives you a, a better view of, of is it talent or coaching that is, that, that, that is achieving those results. All right. Well, that probably plays into the next question I have for you then. So Florida fires Dan Mullen, and they're in search of a new coach. Uh, why are in, you know, following your guys' Twitter account and everything you've put out uh, over the last month or so, why are you guys so high on Billy Napier himself and the job he can do at Florida before we even get to some of the staff that he's assembled? Well, uh, before we, we get into Billy Napier himself, just look at his coaching tree. I mean, he's coached under Dabba Sweeney. He's coached under Nick Saban, who are kind of, you know, two of the Titans right now in, in, in college football um, with, uh, you know, uh, um, Kirby Smart kind of starting to, 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 to break into that club a little bit, but, but um, so he's, he's coached under those coaches. He understands the, the organization it takes to win at that level. Um, next, we, we, we love what he did at Louisiana and all aspects of that program. Uh, he and his staff actually raised the talent profile um, from a team that, from, from a team that recruited routinely in the hundreds and 110s to a team that was recruiting in the, in the, in the mid seventies. Um, that's a massive improvement. Uh, so he was not only able to, to, to get that, that, that program's over, overall talent profile raise, he was able to take that success, off-field success, and convert it in, into the on-field results that we all saw, you know, on, on Sunbelt you know, week, week in and week out. Um, you know, Louisiana has been, a, a, has, been, has been ranked off and off for the past three years, and, 
it's been a, uh, a power in the Sun Belt his entire tenure. And I would challenge a lot, maybe 60% of college football fans didn't really know anything about Louisiana before <laughs> Billy Anthony got there. So he's turned that into, into a program that people can kind of recognize. And we uh, believe that he can do the same thing at, at Florida if he's able to, to, to get that talent profile uh, raised the same way he did Louisiana. Uh, Adam, so <clears throat> you're high on Billy Napier, but then, like I said, following your account throughout the last few weeks, you know, all these hires that Billy Napier has made, you guys have really commented on a lot of those hires uh, recently that are coming in for Florida. So early in the process, Napier goes out and makes a splash hire by getting Corey Raymond from LSU. Huge gift for Florida. Every program in the country would love to have him on the sideline. That sends notice that, you know, Napier is, you know, able to get a, a, a coach of that profile on his first staff at Florida. It does. It, it really does. It does serve notice. Um, Corey Raymond, you know, he grades out as uh, in the top 25% of all cornerback coaches since 2009. That's, that's excellent. Um, it, you know, kind of translating that to what it means next year or, or this year, it means he's, he's likely one of the top four defensive back coaches in the country. Um, I think if you look at what he's accomplished on the field, I think that the, uh, the, the eye test kind of, kind of, you know, confirms that. And if you just look at the cornerbacks LSU has put out in the league since he arrived at LSU in 2012, it's, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, and before that, he was in Nebraska and Utah State, which also had some draft picks while he was there um, at those programs. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's just all around great get for Napier. He's a great recruiter. Um, he's another one of the guys, one of those guys that can also take what he does in the offseason and, and convert it into on field results. All right. So the most recent one, that you guys really, really hit on. Sean Spencer gets hired, and you tweet, quote, massive hire for the Gators here. Couldn't have picked a better one if I had done it myself. One of the best defensive line coaches in the business. Hashtag nerd approved. All right, Adam, why is this one nerd approved? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's all about what, what his profile says. And, and, and our profile on Sean Spencer has him as one of the top 15% uh, of D-line coaches in, all, in our entire database. Um, this is this was an, a huge, absolute home run, home run hire for, for Napier along the defensive front. Um, I was kind of shocked seeing that he initially was going to go to Duke, and I was thinking, man, this guy, he's uh, he's probably a little bit better than Duke. No, no offense to, to Duke's football program, but he probably is a little bit higher profile than that, and then Napier was able to, able to lure, him, lure, lure him away and get him to come a little further south. And I think the, the, the Gators will, will benefit greatly from it. If you look at his defensive lines at Penn State, they were nasty when he was there between 14 and 19. And uh, add to that now his NFL experience, and, and you have a guy on that staff that few other programs can match. Adam, how, how do you guys measure that? A coach coming from – you know, Rob Sales, another coach that's coming from the NFL as well. Do, when these guys go out of college, go to the NFL and come back, is there any – boost or bonus for having NFL experience or does it kind of just always go back to the college experience? Now we, we try to keep all of our numbers um, just based on their college experience, whether that be FBS or FCS. Um, we, it's noted when, it, when, when they go to, when they go to the NFL and when they make that jump. Um, but the, the games are so different, right? Mm -hmm. We try not to, trying to blur those lines okay because we want to we want to keep a peer of what he's able to do at the college game um the fact that the nfl did 
um, identify him as a position coach that was, was, was ready to be elevated to the NFL, that, that does speak volumes, though, and that is, also, that is always noted in a, uh, in a coach's profile. Okay, and then, look, grabbing coaches from Louisiana has been a hot topic going from Louisiana to Florida. Jabbar Jaluk, Darnell Stapleton, Patrick Tony come from the Raging Cajuns, along with Napier. And Tony seems to be that young coach that's garnering a lot of notice out there for his prowess on defense. Uh, and you've heard that young up-and-comer label out there. Do you guys kind of label him in that same regard? Yeah, I mean, experience-wise, he is a, a little bit inexperienced. He's, he's only been calling defenses for two years at Louisiana, and that is a little bit on the inexperienced side. But what he's done those two years has been excellent. And he's another defensive disciple of, you know, Ron Roberts, who was at Southeast Louisiana for years, and he was currently the, the defensive coordinator at Baylor. Uh, from that same tree came um, oh, Dave Aranda, and, and a few other excellent defensive lines. So he's, he's in good company. That's the environment he's coming from. Uh, we like his early success at, Lu- at Louisiana, and he, we really think he has a chance to develop into another you know, big name, big defensive name in college football at Florida. All right, some quick thoughts right yeah. quick. Yeah, you kind of finished this staff off. Quick thoughts, Rob Sale, William Pigler, Mike Peterson, uh, Jay Bateman coming over from North Carolina as a defensive coordinator there, but now a position coach for Florida, uh, and Kerry Colbert at the wide receiver coach. Yeah, um, some of the other assistants, you know, the he brought with him from Louisiana. I know uh, Jaluk was, was, was a, who's, who's the running back coach now. He, he was at also LSU and at Texas Tech before, you know, being at Louisiana, he does have some experience at uh, major Power Five programs in FBS um, before going to, to Louisiana, and he also grades out extremely well as, as a running backs coach. Um, Darnell Stapleton, I know he was hired as the offensive coach, offensive line coach uh, initially, but he'll probably team with Rob Sale uh, to along offensive line play. Mm-hmm. Similar to what that relationship was at Louisiana before Sale was hired away, hired, before Sale was hired away by the New York Giants. And that right there, that statement in itself is really all you need to know about the offensive play, offensive line play under Sale and Stapleton at Louisiana. Is, I think it was good enough for an NFL team to, to, to get interested and come steal Sale away for a year. Then, then it was it was that 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 just whole that that, that fact just speaks for speaks for itself right there. Sale is a, a tremendous offensive line coach, um, top twenty percent of all of our line coaches in our, in our database. Um, he and Napier have been together for a long time. And have a, have had a lot of success together, and I, I, we don't really see a, a big red flag of why that couldn't continue to occur at, at Florida. Um, Pelter, who is who's assigned as a tight end coach, um, we don't really have any data on him as, as a tight end coach because he is he was a, he was the running back coach for two years at, at Michigan State. Yeah, but we, we believe his role will be will, will be more on the recruiting side of things uh, because his, his ability as, as a recruiting coordinator and a talent evaluator. Um, he really helped Napier build those rosters at Louisiana when he was there when, it, when they were there together, and that is really becoming an increasingly important role to have nailed down on a coaching staff coming into this you know the new transfer transfer portal area era that we are are, are moving into. You got to have a guy who is able to to, to um, uh, not only identify but, but but coordinate and 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 uh, coordinate and 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 get that talent uh, acquired in a, in a very uh, organized manner. Um, the other guys that, that, that you mentioned, um, 
Jay, yeah, Jay uh, Bateman, Bateman coming, yeah, from North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, Bateman, and and, and he really hasn't had. Um, I mean, he probably has had a say in, in, in linebacker in linebacker coaching at, at the last few stops he's had, um, whether it's with North Carolina and Army. He hasn't been labeled as the linebackers coach since 2011 through 2013 at Ball State, which he did a, a fair job there. We we have an average grade for him and Peterson, so it'll be interesting to kind of see what that what that uh, linebacker coach dynamic ends up being. Those guys are a little more inexperienced than the rest of the guys, and then you have Colbert at, at the wide receiver coach who who grades out. <clears throat> he's he's in the top. Uh, we, we got him graded as like a three star, which is which is just a, just above average. Wide receiver coach for um, for Kerry Colbert there. He had some some um, some dudes out of USC. If you were able to stay up and watch the Pac-12 at night, this like this past year, you saw guys like Drake London and 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 Amon St. Brown Ra, who's in the NFL making plays right now. So he is he also has experience with, with, with some big time playmakers and at a big time program. I think that he can slide in and and, and more than hold his own at Florida. All right, Adam. The last question I have for you here. Gator fans, of course, want to know when you go against Alabama and Georgia every year, are there early signs uh, for Billy Napier's first staff here at Florida that this is a staff that can get Florida, you know, on the on the track of consistently competing with Alabama and Georgia year in and year out? Yeah, we think we think they have an excellent chance. Um, they're going to have to increase the talent profile to get closer to what those two teams are right now. Um, if they're able to do that, then I don't see any, any reason why the staff can't compete with those two um, kind of behemoths in the SEC right now. Um, we grade new staffs every year that come in, and right now uh, Florida has <laughs> has the best uh, new staff coming in in, in, the, in the next season. We really like what they've done um, all, all around, and he's really put together a, a good mix of experienced guys with, with, with some younger up-and-coming up and coming successful guys. So we will see um, – um, how this all plays out, but if they're able to, t- to increase that talent profile, then, then there's really no reason Gator fans shouldn't expect them to, to be, you know, uh, competing with those two in the next few years. Uh, Adam, one more time, give our listeners, uh, you know, how, how they can find you out there on Twitter and, and the work you guys do. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, they can go out there and follow you for all your uh, also insights on the staffs at LSU and Miami and out, uh, out there building their first years as well. Yeah, um, you can follow, follow me on Twitter at CFB underscore professor. And then um, you can also uh, find me on Patreon at patreon.com uh, backslash CFB underscore professor. Adam McClintock, Matrix Analytical. Man, thank you so much for hopping on Gators Breakdown. No problem. All right, Will, there we go. Big deep dive there uh, into, into the staff. Like mean, it couldn't have been any more glowing <laughs> about Spencer, uh, for you know going back to, to his time uh, and what he's able to do at Penn State, just like we summarized uh, here. But uh, really high on uh, on this Billy Napier staff. Yeah, I mean, I I think the staff is a lot like what you think about in terms of recruiting is that you don't have to hit on everybody in terms of them being the yeah. perfect fit. In fact, there's an opportunity to make changes as you move forward. 
And I think one of the criticisms of Dan Mullen, again, was like an inability or a not having the desire to make the necessary changes when, when he saw it. So, you know, you hope all of these guys stick. I think Mike Peterson is really probably a home run hire there at linebacker. I think Corey Raymond is absolutely a home run hire at DB. The more I read about Patrick Tony, the more I listen to Patrick Tony, the more convinced I am that he's going to be a star um, and that it's probably a good thing we've got a co-defensive coordinator on staff because two years from now, Patrick Tony might be the head coach at Auburn or something. And, uh, you know, so I'm excited about what Napier's building. I'm excited that it feels like not only is he building the the staff to be able to support these guys on the field, but he's also building the backup staff to make sure that these guys can be as efficient as possible when they either go out on the recruiting trail or when they're trying to help their players. And so that, I think, is the big thing is, all of those analysts just end up saving these guys time. So if you think Corey Raymond is an awesome recruiter, well, he can get to more people if there's a group of analysts behind him making sure that all the appointments and all the phone calls and, mm-hmm. and all the visits and all that stuff is set up. And so having that whole machine that runs through makes things more efficient and makes the, makes the organization more efficient. So, you know, whether or not Kerry Colbert is the perfect fit at wide receiver – I don't know that he has to be. It's sort of the same thing we said about linebacker, right? Shamar James is going to be the Mike, and they're going to allow him to adjust based on the scheme and what he does best. But at the end of the day, he's going to be the Mike. And I think you look at these coaches, that's sort of the same general strategy is you want to bring in a lot of high-level, high-energy guys. But at the same time, you're going to be able to adjust and 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 move and, and make adjustments based on all of their strengths and weaknesses because you're going to be able to supplement their weaknesses with the army of assistants that they have behind the scenes. There you go, Will. And that's going to lend itself to some Gators Breakdown Plus members. I'm going to share their thoughts here uh, before we go on Gators Breakdown, more of a perk of being there. I'm going to share some of uh, um, your thoughts, uh, ask you guys your thoughts now that the on field staff is complete. And let's get it started with I uh, hope I got this username right, Chatch. Uh, that's just the way it's spelled. So we'll go with that. Uh, obviously, wish we could have landed Carl Scott. While I was very intrigued by Eric Henderson after reading up on Coach Chaos, I'm more than pleased with the hire. I like the hire of Mike Peterson also. I do hope our offense looks good this year because I'm not sure what this staff would do during games. Well, that is, uh, it does seem to much like early recruiting. The staff seems kind of tilted more towards known defensive names, a little more potential on offense with Napier, of course, now calling you know, calling the plays, leading the quarterback charge. You feel safe there. Uh, you know, but young guy in Pegler, uh, Jaluk has some SEC experience with that at LSU, uh, but you know, not really high profile name out there. Rob Sale. Just coming over from the NFL, I think you step that you have that NFL stamp on you somewhere. I think that speaks a lot. You were able to do such a good job in college to go get an NFL job, and now you come back, partner back up with Billy Napier. I like that pairing there, the offensive line there with Darnell Stapleton, who not the splash hire, but you know somebody who's been around knows Billy Napier's culture system. Pair that with Sale, I think really goes you know goes well together, but it does seem like those big names or spotlight, the up and comer, all that's kind of shifted toward the defense a bit. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, the, the, the reason I'm not are, saying that's a bad thing. <laughs> uh, it, it is interesting though, because Henderson and Scott were 38 and 36 and the guys that they went to instead. And again, whether guys were offered and, and who exactly was wanted are things that I'm not necessarily privy to, but you look at Bateman and Spencer, they're 48 and 51. And I do wonder whether we'll look back and think that that balance was actually a really good thing, right? That you've got a guy like Tony at defensive coordinator at 31 and the guy who's going to sort of be the yin to, him, yin to his yang is Spencer at 51, right? And you think about linebackers for Jay Bateman, 48. And again, defensive coordinator 31 for Tony. So you're really sort of bringing in guys with lots of experience to help support him on the offensive side of the ball. Napier knows what he wants to do. Right. And so I don't think there's going to be anything as a surprise in terms of what defenses might throw his way. And so there are guys like Colbert, guys like Stapleton, even guys like sale and Piegler end up really sort of bringing the energy and the juice that you figure that you'd need to make sure that you get the most out of the offensive guys that you got there and bring in skill players because at the end of the day, you know, Alabama's been winning national championships with wide receivers who all came from the state of Florida recently. And and, and it turns out that when you have, you know, Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and, and you know, those sorts of guys – doesn't really matter who your coaches are. I would bet. In fact, Saban just sort of cycles them in and out. And it never matters who the offensive uh, coordinator is. And it never matters exactly who's who's coaching tight ends and all that sort of stuff. At the end of the day, um, talent wins out, and that's a big part of that. So, um, yeah, it's obviously very very skewed towards um, towards the defense, but I think that's partly because where Billy Napier comes from, being an offensive coach. And one of the things that I think always concerned us about the Mullen regime, right, that you've got Mullen who's focusing on offense. We weren't really worried about that, but we saw what was going on, on the defensive side of the ball and didn't have this level of, of talent or confidence on that side of the ball that I have going in right now, at least. All right, get some more here. David Soderquist, he goes, I'm honestly fine with whatever staff hires, whatever staff hires Napier brings in. Corey Raymond was obviously the biggest name of the bunch. But ultimately, what makes a great staff is cohesion, work ethic, being on the same page, you know, stuff we've talked on this episode here. An organized and willing coaching staff sets you up for success. I think after the debacle we saw with the last coaching staff as far as recruiting and on-field defensive production, should get better from here. We can only hope. Number one, draft pick says, like the staff, main questions are the coordinator positions, to be honest. Can Billy's offense be explosive enough for the SEC? Can Tony's defense translate? Billy took the same approach Urban did at offensive coordinator in terms of betting on what they were already doing. I think this staff will do really well on the trail in part due to guys like Raymond, Spencer, Bateman, but because Billy emphasizes it, sets the tone, and is building a recruiting organization. Michael Lee says, I think the leaks of potential candidates have made a lot of people feel let down. If there was no leaks, then I think everyone would say this is a top SEC staff with tons of high-end potential. Great first staff by Billy Napier, in my opinion. Southern Gator says, love the Peterson hire, and Corey Raymond is going to be the best one of them all. I was disappointed at first about not getting Henderson, but after reading about Coach Chaos, I'm more excited about him than Henderson. As far as off-field, well, this one can't be overstated here. As far as off-field, we've seen it on the visits this past weekend, uh, over the last couple weekends as well. As far as off-field, KD Turner was a home run hire. The fact he took her back from Kirby is icing on the cake. <laughs> so, look, and look, we, we've seen her, her having fun. Uh, and, and, the, and the rest of the staff, too, you know, having fun at Dave & Buster's and uh, with uh, beating Shamar James at Hoops uh, there at, at, um, 
at uh, at Dave and Buster's there in Gainesville, and you know, just talk about it. The army put it together, the cohesion. Everybody's on the same page. There's a a, a culture feel to it. Uh, everybody's kind of getting just a a good feel. Uh, for what this Gator staff's doing, and you hear a lot of the feedback so far as far as these early visits is, you know, just uh, it, it feels different. They really do feel like they care. Yeah, I mean, look, I, <laughs> Katie Turner and I are kindred souls because she's a Buffalo Bills fan, so we were both dying last night watching that game. But the energy that she's brought, the she and Bree Wade, I think, is somebody mm-hmm. else who you look at and say, from the standpoint of just. Um, personality to the program. I, I think you look at those folks and say, there's a different personality and a different energy. And then you hear what people said about, about Katie Turner coming from Georgia, like Georgia parents who reached out when she left Georgia and and were sad she was leaving, but had very glowing things to say. I think, yeah, absolutely, that makes a difference. And this is the deal, right? Is that, again, I think we think about the guys who are on field and that's certainly what a lot of these players are, um, are committing to when they decide to come to the university of Florida at the same time, the support staff is all the people who do the work behind the scenes to make sure that they have the new football facility and that it's all organized for them to make sure that their living conditions at the new standard building are going to be exactly what they need to make sure that their official visits are awesome when they show up and that they have the right, the right hosts and that those hosts meet their personality and what they want to do while they're there, making sure that all their questions are answered, that there's always somebody ready to respond bond when someone does have a question or a concern about potentially coming to Florida all those things become critical and so you know I I think that energy that we're hearing and seeing from from Katie Turner from Bree Wade and other people is contagious and so people feel that again at the end of the day the results have to continue to come I think we'd look at Mullen and say he had a lot of energy when he came in and we sort of saw it dissipate over time and in many ways because of the crucible that the Florida program is so we'll see Right. I mean, even Urban Meyer and and even really even when you look at Steve Spurrier eventually got worn down by the expectations of the Florida fan base and the demands that that this job pertains. And so that's going to be the interesting thing to watch. Everybody's cohesive until you go out and lose to Georgia a couple of times. And then the cohesion starts to break apart because there's some real pressure at that point. And, uh, you know, so we'll see. I think at the end of the day. The cohesion is there. Everything is in place to build. The foundation seems to be very strong. And the question is, are you going to be able to build that foundation to where when you do come up against those stormy waters, when you when you you know aren't able to get over the Georgia hump or or you know the Alabama hump, or when you start to struggle or can't find the quarterback, or your que- people are questioning whether your offense is going to be able to work in the SEC, are you are you confident in your foundation to where you'll be able to push through? And to be honest, that's one of the things that I think is really impressive about what Georgia did this year is finally being able to get across that finish line against Alabama. Certainly, uh, you know, (laughs) we didn't like it, but at the same time, you look at what they've built there. The foundation was strong, and I think you even tweeted it out, that you can't recruit at that high level and not win over time. They built a foundation that enabled them to win a national title with Stetson Bennett at quarterback, and I think that says something about what Kirby's built there, and I think – that's what we're looking for when we look at not only the support staff, but also the on-field staff and what they're able to do. All right. Last bit of got a few more here. I'll finish. You guys very grateful for being Gators Breakdown Plus member. So I'll put it out there. But <clears throat> Coach Fletch says, I think it's first great, a great first staff. I'm intrigued to see what Saturdays will look like. I also appreciate the emphasis on analysts and off-field recruiting staff. Jimmy's and Joe's are imported again in Gainesville. 
Robert Guagliardo, I think it's a good staff that has potential to be great. Got older proven guys in Raymond, Spencer, Bateman, Jaluk. Then got young up-and-comers who could be great in Pigler, Tony, Stapleton, and Colbert. Then a couple of unproven but still up-and-comers in Sale and Peterson. Obviously, we'll love Cider and Scott, but I do think those changes – I think that changed the perspective of the staff, but still a good staff. I think they recruit well, so we'll come down to how they coach and game plan. Swagadelic, lots of up and downs in the coaching search, specifically on defense, starting with the rumors of Belt, Knowles, Henderson, Scott. Curious to see if those were misses or just unfounded rumors. Either way, the lack of some of these bigger names may mean we have a staff that will stay together for a longer period of time, which should bode well in a critical three-year test. Like that point there of maybe being able to stay together for a bit. Ryan says, looks like a bunch of recruiters that are high energy slash effort, which is nice compared to the last staff. Oh, and Corey Raymond, not going to have an opinion on the X's and O's until the season starts and we see how this team is, but I do expect the defense to be improved. Tris TK, seemingly missing out on some of the big names is one thing, but the fact that Billy seems to always have contingency plans excite me, as well as having multiple coaches of the year and bringing on Bateman as a position coach. Of course, Raymond is, Raymond is icing on the cake. Malik G, I'm incredibly excited about the upgrade for our linebackers, both evaluation and development, to go from Christian Robinson with Todd Grantham overseeing to Mike Peterson and Jay Bateman with Patrick Tony overseeing. Talk about our guys hitting the lottery comparatively. <laughs> Taylor Chase, I'm a little disappointed that we weren't able to snag a couple of Tosh Lapoy, Jawan Sider, Carl Scott, those guys are all elite on the trail, but I think that matters much less when you have a head coach that wants to recruit and a great off-field staff. Overall, can't name any spot that we didn't upgrade from Mullen and company except maybe offensive scheme slash play calling, and that is yet to be determined. Last one here, Sorax says, I like that we have three previous recruiting coordinators amongst the on-field staff, NFL coaching experience, and three coaches that had successful NFL careers, including a Super Bowl ring. We also have up-and-comers that are innovative, strategic, and agile in their approach. Tony is the prime example. Blending this with the more seasoned experience will make for a healthy coaching room. Coach Napier said in his initial press conference that he will win the trenches. He backed this up by hiring two offensive line coaches, putting a co-coordinator on both sides of the trenches, on both sides of the ball, or both levels, top, bottom of defense, Brilliant move that would give us in-game advantage. Wish we had another big splash hire similar to Raymond, which is hardly an issue beyond national perception. Recruit, 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 plan, strategize, put the players in position to succeed. The future is bright. Go Gators. So a lot of fan perspective there from Gators Breakdown Plus members. Everybody, thanks for being members there, sharing your thoughts um, or when I ask for your own field staff thoughts there but yeah well honestly yeah you would have gotten some of those bigger splash names that were rumored out there of course you know there's probably going to be a little bit of uh, okay well at least we got this guy but yeah man there was the, the one point out there that hey you had those names out there but it didn't take long for once you kind of hear once you heard hey it may be not scott it may not be henderson it didn't take Napier Long, he, he already had those guys in place ready to go to take those take those places. We're not Miami right now, still trying to find a staff going into the final weekend before National Signing Day and trying to figure out who your coordinators are. Billy, you know, Billy Napier had a plan. 
may not have got every top target on his board, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm ecstatic about these 10 hires he's made going into his first season in Florida. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, like you said, I, I think the plan matters and the process matters more than the results at all times. And so, you know, again, we, we look at previous staffs and I think we can all agree that there were process gaps in terms of the way that they were doing things. And it doesn't look like there are any shortcuts that are being taken, which means you've got contingencies. It means you've got backups. And, you know, we even talked about a little bit with some of the recruits that are coming in where you're sitting there going, well, is this really somebody that they should have taken? Well, Based on what we saw with the coaching hires, it gives me confidence that when they take a guy who's maybe lower rated than we think, either one, they know something about him we don't, or two, that they understand what their board looks like and that that is a contingency plan because they know that things aren't going to fall their way up above. And so they make sure that they secure the commitment of the person that they can get and that they know is going to buy into the program. So, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're going to be looking for. I mean, Napier talked about building a world-class organization and a championship program. He didn't talk about building a championship recruiting class. And he didn't talk about building, you know, a, a flash in the pan. They, he wants something consistent. Scott Strickland said he wants something consistent, which means it's building that foundation. And I think you look at this staff and you go, yeah, there's some home runs here. There are some unknowns here. And there are some solids here. But I think you need guys who are just solid in order to help build that foundation. Not everybody can be a leader. In fact, you know, that, that comment about everybody being here for two or three years, I think that, you know, if you just have superstars, then those guys shift around because they yep. get raises to go different <clears throat> places. You don't build that sort of consistency. You don't build that sort of trust that you need in order for everybody to be moving on the same page, particularly when the, when the headwinds start coming your way. So, um, you know, look, we won't know for a couple of years, yep. but I think one of the concerns early on was that Napier was bringing a lot of guys from Louisiana. I think certainly the fact that the Louisiana folks are angry with the people that he's brought says something about the people that he's brought. And then, you know, he has filled out other spots with high level guys who are not Louisiana people who are, or at least who are not, you know, Louisiana Lafayette people and, you know, guys like Kerry Colbert, that's not somebody that I necessarily would have said, Oh yeah, that's a guy you need to target yeah. for wide receivers. He's a West coast guy. It doesn't make a lot of sense from a Florida perspective, but we're going to get an opportunity to see it. And if that, you know, if, if based on the early returns in terms of being able to build relationships with high schools, you know, we saw Napier go and do uh, a seminar for high school coaches in Florida a couple of weeks ago, which was something that, you know, I think you said you tweeted out something about how like, well, we've never, I, I don't remember seeing something thing with this with Dan Mullen and the guy who runs the thing wrote back and said yeah we invited him he never came and so yeah that was those- unsolicited so I mean that was you know I was sitting there just sharing hey here's what Billy Napier's doing creating relationships with high school coaches he DMs me on Twitter hey you know we've we've thrown this to Dan Mullen every single year and he's never done it he's never wanted to join this coaches clinic why would I mean it's a free recruiting opportunity to get in with high school coaches Build a rapport, build a reputation for coaches that you coach, and the head coach of the University of Florida never wanted to do it. And look, something else is coming up. I mean, Lakeland's having their football banquet. Guess who's going to be hosted the Lakeland football banquet? Billy Napier. I mean, it's the little things like that that just look. I don't want to sit here and say it's going to be all the difference in the world, but you know, somebody at least who gets it, something that needs to change, something that can go a long way in really helping you know a, a role 
in Florida football that's lacked so long is just a relationship building on the recruiting front. Yeah, but this is this is really where that army and the organization comes into play, right? Is Billy Napier can go do those things because when he gets done with those things, he's got people behind him who've set everything up and made everything efficient. And, you know, it, it, there's only 24 hours of the day. And even if you're going to burn the candle at both ends, you're probably only putting in 20 hours. And so you got to make the most out of that 20 hours. And Napier is deciding that building a foundation with the high school coaches in Florida is important and critical to his success as a foundation. And I think that attitude will permeate its way through the staff. And that, that's important, right? That these guys all – if, if you don't have the high school coaches within 100 miles of Gainesville on your speed dial where you can call them up and ask them what they think about a particular kid, um, then you aren't doing your job right. And I, I have zero doubt that that foundation is being built in Gainesville. And so, you know, again, I think you could probably quibble. You could probably say, ah, I wish we'd gotten this other guy or, or something like that. But at the end of the day, it all sort of filters down from the head guy. And, yeah. you know, I've said this a few times at this point in the last month or so, but, you know, Nick Saban has guys on the staff who come in and come out and learn things from him and go someplace else. And, you know, Kirby Smart's starting to see the same type of turnover. Dabo Swinney's starting to see turnover as well. The question is going to be how do those guys sustain it? And But at the end of the day, I think the message in most of those cases is that the players are committing to what Kirby Smart has built. The players are committing to what Nick Saban has built. The players are committing to what Dabo Swinney has built. The players hopefully are going to be committing to what Billy Napier has built. These coaches are all part of that, but they're not irreplaceable. And so as these guys succeed, move on to other places, the key is still going to be that Billy Napier and what he's built stands there with that foundation. And certainly um, I think this is a good start. Yeah, absolutely. So there we go. All right. Well, I think this might've been the longest two, two person Gators breakdown we've done. And we've had Bill on and Dan Mullen being hired or Jim McElwain being fired. And we, we, we went on for a good bit, but we knew this was going to be a, a newsy, a newsy episode. And it sure was. Yeah, man. Well, yeah. Hey, it's exciting time <clears throat> to be a Florida yep. fan. It's exciting time to cover Florida. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, is it August yet? September. Yeah. Can we kick off against Utah? I got, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping to do some cool stuff this fall. Um, especially with the Utah game. But, uh, you know, can, can we kick off? <laughs> it's time. Let's go. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get some spring dates sometime soon. A lot of people have been asking about that. So hopefully hopefully some of that comes out soon. But as you said, all this stuff right here, signing day, signing day next week. So that's the next big uh, mark on the calendar, of course, uh, for signing day coming up. Last official visit weekend, some big names coming up. We'll get into that later on this week on Gators Breakdown. But, uh, yeah, never dull moment. Plenty coming up here. Well, I think my voice is about to go. So. <laughs> uh, but, uh, man, thank, uh, yeah, thanks for hopping on. And yeah, man, a marathon episode for us. Ah, you know, we give the fans what they want. So hopefully this is what they want. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's a fun time to be a fan. We really appreciate everybody supporting us out there. And, uh, you know, you're always asking for content. So here you go. An hour and 45 minutes. Go enjoy it. And, uh, you know, tell us why you think we're idiots. That's one of the reasons why this is so much fun. <laughs> There we go. Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. Be sure to go check out Matt, his Max Brown piece uh, put out there on Read and Reaction on YouTube and readreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.